There's a great message in that song. Notice it was always the you and I together growing toward Christ, surrendering together, choosing together. Very much the idea of what uh, the text this morning would be talking about, the, the togetherness aspect of, of the church. Church kind of gets a, uh, well, it needs a lot of PR work uh, in our society. In fact, it's a lot easier to talk about Christ than it is to talk about the church. And that's okay. It's good for us to talk about Christ. We've just got a tradition of inviting people to church instead of inviting them to Christ. And when you get the Christ working right in a person's life, the church kind of follows. But we're going to talk a little bit about church, the togetherness of it, the, the challenge of it. It's one of the sub-themes of the book of Colossians. The, the primary theme is, is Christ uh, in the book of just lifting up Christ. What does it mean to live in Christ uh, as Paul is writing this to a, a church he's not yet met, uh, knows about them, and giving them encouragement. We're going to finish up uh, the book this morning, the letter, uh, Colossians chapter 4. Uh, we're going to look beginning with verse 7 through 18. We're going to look at a bunch of names you might not have really Heard about, been familiar with, but very dear to Paul. Uh, it was part of Paul's inner group. Uh, when we think about Paul, we often think of this kind of Lone Ranger type guy starting churches here and there. But what we, we don't always get is that there is an entourage. There is a, a committee, a, a team that is always with Paul. Uh, even in prison, uh, there is usually someone with Paul. And we get to a snapshot of some of these people as he, he writes a letter from people and sends it with certain people, sends a letter with certain people, and he sends it to a group of people. And he kind of highlights each one of those, those who are writing with them, from and to, uh, as we look at these, these individuals. And as I, as I looked at this, I thought, you know, we, we see these people today still in any church. And I just want to kind of give a, a snapshot of characteristics of, of this type of person uh, that we see in our church today. Um, I want to read to you our website, um, the welcome from the pastor letter. Some of you may have read this. Uh, many of you probably have not. Um, it's, it's also what's in our brochure that we give out to folks uh, when they want to know more about our church. Um, because I, I think it captures a lot of what I'm going to be talking about today. Um, so if you went to the website, say, welcome from the pastor. I do hope that you get to know the ordinary people that make up the community we call Green Pines Baptist. Even more, I greatly desire for you to know the extraordinary God we serve. You see, church is not for people who have their lives in order and perfect. In fact, it's the exact opposite. We are constantly frustrated by the difference between who we are and who we want to be. God sees us as we are and grants us his love and forgiveness. This realization is all the more amazing since God is the origin of all that is right, good, and beautiful. When a person learns this truth, they want to celebrate it and share it with others. God grants to the individual new desires and abilities to do his work wherever they are located. These are magnetic desires that draw people together to worship Jesus by whom we know God. This is how Green Pine started and how it continues to thrive. 
We believe this church began in the heart of God before it started here in Nightdale. The area of the world, this area of the world, needs to experience the care of God, and that's where the church gets used. God chooses us with all our quirks and faults to display His love, joy, peace, and kindness. This job is too big for us individually, so we need each other's support and abilities to accomplish God's task. I hope you see an area where you can be a part of us to serve an extraordinary God in this place called Nightdale in East Raleigh. Perhaps God will put in your heart a whole new way to glorify Him, your co-laborer in Christ. The thoughts that are in that letter to anyone that happens to go to that site or to interested in our church is very much what's behind Paul's thoughts, uh, or what Paul's thoughts are behind that letter in Colossians chapter 4 as he writes about his team. And writes to a team of people. I want you to imagine yourself. You're there with this team also. And try to figure out where you might fit in as we read this together. And so, in honor of this being God's word, I'm going to ask that we stand as we read Colossians chapter 4, verse 7 through 18. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant of the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with them, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, Concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. That you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you. And for those in Laodicea and Heropolis, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to our our, our Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, Write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. You may be seated. And that's the end of a letter that has become very precious to me. I kind of, I don't really want to end this. It's been just a blessing to me as we've taught this in East Asia and then here uh, to talk about who Christ is and what God has done in the church and for the church, for the Holy Spirit. In Colossians chapter 1, you remember... He he begins with this prayer of saying, I want you to know this power, the resurrection power that helps you with endurance and joy. And then in in chapter 1, end of chapter 1, he talks about not only this great Christ, but then how he is struggling and suffering to fulfill that which is lacked in the sufferings of Christ. What does he talk about there? Well, the sufferings of Christ was meant not just for our salvation, but to create a people of God. And that work is still being done throughout the world today. And so Paul saw himself in the sufferings that he did as a way to finish up 
the, the sufferings of Jesus to provide churches across all people. And we are still called to that task today. To suffer, to see churches started around the world among different people groups. And then he started talking about how he was toiling and suffering that the church in Colossae would know Christ. And the love of Christ and the greatness of Christ. And we learned then how we too must suffer on the behalf of others in the church. So that Christ would be known. And we talk about how that still happens today. That when you're in a church, you suffer. You suffer because you are in the church. You are suffering because of the church. But that is a way to display the love of Christ. So next time you feel drained by people around you in church, remember this is part of loving Christ and loving God. And let that be the fuel that when you don't get it from someone else because they're not appreciating anything that you're doing and they're taken from you, it's okay. It's love. And Christ is a part of that. And he's aware of that. And so that is driving Paul. And then in Colossians chapter 2, he says, I want you to be careful that you don't go outside of Christ. He says, beware of just traditions apart from Christ. Beware of of experiences apart from Christ. You see this all in in Colossians chapter 2. And then in Colossians chapter 3, he talks about being raised with Christ and what that means. And we, we spend a good bit of time in Colossians 3 of how we can let the power of Christ work in our life and seeing ourselves as God has seen us and, and showing Christ to others and not ourselves and, and dying and putting to death certain sins that, that take away from Christ. Uh, staying steadfast in prayer, seeing all of life as a spiritual act of worship. Remember all this? Okay? We're talking about how husbands, mothers, wives, uh, children, uh, bosses, employees, all these are spiritual acts of worship. Uh, and how uh, that and so much more, whether it's our hobbies and singing, uh, the, all that we do, uh, eating, is, is a way of showing Christ and seeing as a spiritual act of worship. Uh, and now we come to this ending part. And so let me just kind of take a few of these characters, explain some of their life to you. All right. It's going to be somewhat historical. Um, it's a historical letter. And so, uh, but then we're going to look at the characteristics of, of some of these men. So we've got this first guy, uh, Tychicus, uh, uh, verse 7. Uh, we think of Paul, but when we think of Paul, if we were going to look at this, we need to be thinking of this guy also. Because this guy seems to be with them everywhere he goes. He makes much mention of this man named Tychicus. In fact, we're going to talk about him as well as a couple others. And let's just say there is the category of the devoted there's the devoted. In any church, hopefully, Lord willing, you're going to find the devoted. Tychicus is one of those who is the devoted. Uh, he is described as a beloved brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant in the Lord. He is referenced again in Ephesians chapter 6. Again, that is kind of the companion letter with Colossians, Ephesians. And again, he's described in much the same way. He is the carrier of this letter. Uh, and so, it, because of Tychicus as being faithful, is why you've got this letter today. So he born the letter, he carried the letter to this church to begin with. Um, in Acts chapter 20, verse 4, we find that he came from uh, Asia, and that he was entrusted with a great sum of money to go to the church in Jerusalem with Paul. And so he was well uh, respected by the church. In later years... Uh, for those of us who uh, study Titus chapter 3, verse 12, Tychicus was the one who was sent to Crete to replace Titus. 
in that work so that Titus could come back to Paul. And so he was a replacement uh, elder uh, in, in a church. We see this happens again in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. 2 Timothy, Paul is at the end of his life. He's in Rome. It is dark. It's just a few people with him. Luke's being one of them. Evidently, this man is with him. But he sends Tychicus to, uh, uh, to the work in Ephesus so that Titus can come back, or, or to the work in Crete, so that Titus can come back, and then the work in Ephesus later, so Timothy can come back. He is a replacement for both Titus and Timothy, all right? He's right up there with these guys, and his leadership ability in going to difficult places. And so, we see the faithfulness of this man. We see this later on also, as we uh, look at some of the other men that he addresses, he goes to the next man, Onesimus. Well, we're going to talk about him later on. And then he says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner. He also is one of the devoted. He calls him a fellow prisoner. He's in chains with him now. But you know what? This isn't the first time this man has been found in a hard spot with Paul. Let me share with you a few others. Uh, he was selected to accompany Paul... And the money to go to Jerusalem. And so when Paul gets to Jerusalem, he gets in trouble. He gets arrested. And ultimately, he gets sent back to Rome. And here this man, Aristarchus, not only did he not follow him to Jerusalem, he said, you know what, I'm going to go with you. So he goes with Paul, who is a prisoner, and follows him to Rome. Do you remember what happens on the way to Rome? A shipwreck. And this man's with them there. And so he is accompanying him in a, in a, in a riot uh, in Rome, he, he, or in Jerusalem. He accompanies him in a shipwreck. And then in, later on in Ephesians, in Acts chapter uh, 27, verse 2, you see that he's in another riot with Paul. If Paul is in a hard spot, this man's there with him. Two riots, an arrest, shipwreck. And now when he writes this in Rome, he's in prison with him. There are the devoted. There are those in church that you'll find, God willing, that will accompany you and be with you because it's a way of serving the Lord. Praise God for people like that. They are blessings. They are gifts to God. They are gifts to the servants of the Lord in the church. And whatever church you're in, look for them. Pray for him. Be one. And the test of the devoted is not how you stand when things are doing well. Not how things are going when everything's growing. The test of the devoted are when things are hard and there's a sacrifice that has to be made. The devoted stay there and make the sacrifice with the workers. And here this man, these two men, both of them are the devoted. But we're going to find someone else there. There's the group of the redeemed. As Paul writes this, he talks about Onesimus. He says, and with them, accompanying this first man, Tychicus, is the second man, Onesimus. So when this letter comes, Onesimus is coming in hand in hand with this other guy. Now, what's the point about that? Onesimus is the one that's addressed in Philemon. He is the one who is a runaway slave in the book of Philemon. All right? Now, um, 
just to kind of get some perspective. In fact, let's turn to Philemon. Let's read that book, that letter. It's okay, it's just one chapter. Uh, nothing to be afraid of. But when we read this, I want you to connect some dots here. It's very likely that this letter is being accompanied with the letter to Colossae and that Tychicus is bearing this letter with Onesimus. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved worker, and Ephia, which evidently is his wife, our sister, and Archippus, which may be their son, remember that name, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Where does the church meet? In the house of Philemon. All right. Keep that in mind. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I've derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because of the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Mind you, he's not met Philemon. <laughs> but he's been refreshed by Philemon. And he's ministered to this church indirectly. Verse 8. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you in other words, I'm not going to push my weight around. I'm going to ask that you take part in this. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Somehow, someway, God made it so that Onesimus met up with Paul in God's providence, and something amazing happened. He says, formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me i am sending him back to you sending my very heart i would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel but i prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion but of your own accord for this perhaps is why he has parted from you for a while that you might have him back forever no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. What gave this confidence in Paul's life? First of all, the church in Colossae as well as Laodicea has sent Epaphras to Paul. So he already knows their heart. They're endorsing and, and sending a servant to him. And Paul is saying, I see your heart in this. And I see this man, he's connected to you. He ran away from you. Now he's a believer. I know that I could have kept him because I know your heart as revealed through Epaphras. But he sends him back. And then he says, verse 18, If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. They say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Why? Because Paul was instrumental in the, in the working of the church. Though he wasn't directly doing it, he was sending people there. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Now, let's put two and two together. Whose slave was Anesimus? Philemon's. Where did the church meet? 
Did they know of Anisimus? Did they know he was useless? They have a memory of Onesimus as that useless slave that ran away from Philemon, who has been generous to allow us as a church to meet there, and perhaps maybe whose son could be the pastor. So, when Onesimus comes walking back into the room with this letter, what's the first thing they think of? Whoa, what nerve. This guy has coming back. Can you believe the audacity of such folks? What's Philemon going to do? He has all rights to punish him to a very severe way. But instead, Paul has this other letter. The ticket his hands and says, this is concerning my brother here with me. And they read this letter. And they look at him and think, oh my. This person who has sinned, who has run, has run away. God he has saved him. He could not run away from God. He, he met up with a brother Paul, and now he's changed. Anisimus is the personification of the gospel to these people. They're hearing about the power of the gospel, but then if they ever wonder what the power of Christ is doing in their life, all they got to do is look at this man, Anisimus, and realize he's redeemed. Friends, the church is, if nothing, but the gathering of people who have redeemed been redeemed every once in a while i come across someone that says you know i've kind of got a a colorful past i was like yeah you know what when we're honest we're all colorful we're all messed up we're all broken and we still struggle with it because it's not just that the past has been taken care of we see that the present is very much colorful as well there's got all kinds of desires that we can't believe that are in our heart and brain. But they're there. But God is the redeeming God. And the, and the church is the place of the redeemed who are coming together. We're all messed up. We all get our quirks. The church is not those who are perfected. The church are those who are repentant. And that God is working. The godly are not those who have absence of sin. The godly are those who have abundance of repentance. And therefore experience the forgiveness work of God. They're redeemed. And so here you've got Onesimus right there in the midst of it. But he's not the only one. He talks about someone else. He says, he says, I will, and with the Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you they will tell you of everything that has taken place here and he's not just talking about paul he's talking about anisimus as well he'd love to hear the story of the gospel and then he talks about Aristoc- uh, aristotarchus who we've talked about and then mark the cousin of barnabas also part of the redeemed mark is with paul now if you know your bible you know that's significant because there was a time where paul was very adamant that mark was not to be with him to the point where he said to the beloved brother barnabas who helped disciple paul he said barnabas if you want mark then you can't have me you got to make a choice and they split up after the first missionary journey and it was because of mark mark went with them on their first missionary journey and somewhere along the way mark said you know what this isn't for me they got to the edge of asia and mark said i'm going back home where was home Jerusalem. That's where Mark grew up. 
In fact, his mother was one of which where the church met in Jerusalem was one of their homes. And so evidently was a wealthy woman. Could have been the very place of the upper room. Could have been Mark's home. In fact, uh, most scholars would say that the book of Mark is heavily influenced by Peter. Maybe it could have been the sermons of Peter that Mark took the notes for. And if that's true, it could very well be that Mark was even in the gathering of the disciples, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, if it's possible. There's some clues that suggest that. So Mark was a young man that had exposure to Jesus right there in Jerusalem. And in fact, in 1 Peter, tells us that he was with Peter when, when Peter writes that letter. But somewhere along the way, he said, you know what? This is too hard. It's too difficult. I'm stepping out. Paul was angry with Mark to the point of just saying, you know what? I'm going to cut the losses. I'm just not doing anything with them. But here you have this, this statement. Mark's with me. And he sends greetings. And Mark evidently is going with them. He says, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. Later on, we see in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4 that he sees Mark as a beloved comforter. He's redeemed. You know what? I found that not only is it the colorful past before we're saved, but sometimes when after we experience the saving work of God, there are moments when we fell. And we fell publicly. And we hurt other people. But you know what the church is? The church is a place where they understand the grace of God. To the point that even when you have believers who fail the church, who fail one another, and causes harm, there's grace there. Because we are the redeemed. Did anybody have to pay a price? Well, Onesimus, evidently Philemon had to pay the price. And maybe Paul had to pay a price. Mark, there were those who had to pay a price. When people hurt you in church... And they sin. You have to pay a price. It's a very real price. When you're called to a church, and you're called to be a part of the church, you're called to swallow prices. To swallow pain. How do you do that? Listen. There is no pain that you have to absorb that is greater than what God has absorbed from your pain. And that is your fuel. That is why we have to have Christ as the center. When we do not forgive each other, and we do not absorb the price of whatever it is, we deny Christ in our church. There is no other way around it but to say that. We are denying Christ when we do not absorb the price of failures of others. We are... (laughs) At the core, a gathering of the redeemed. How can we not embrace the redemption of others? And here, Paul's doing that. It is the gathering of the devoted. It is the gathering of the redeemed. But also, we keep on reading uh, some more about this. He talks about Jesus, who is called Justice. Let me tell you about him. His name was Jesus, who was called Justice. And that's about it. <laughs> that's all I know. And that's all most anybody knows about this. Uh, evidently, Jesus was his Hebrew name. 
and Roman was his, our uh, justice was more of his Roman name. But other than that, he was a Jew. Uh, Paul says this as much that these are the men he's listed are the circumcision. And, and therefore, they were a unique blessing to him because they were of his own people. But also, they were dealing with most of the controversy. Most of the struggles in churches were with Jews. People who think you knew the law. And so these who were Jews with them, supporting him was a special blessing to him. And so he says, they've been a comfort to me. Then he goes on and starts listing out those who are Greeks. And there is this man, Epaphras. Epaphras. We know him as an evangelist. He was the one that was directly involved in the church being started, and not only in Colossae, but in Laodicea and Heropolis. These are three cities that were close to each other in a, a Lycra Valley area. And so Epaphras was instrumental to the church. And he was the one that's been sent back Colossae and other churches to encourage Paul. But notice, this is what Paul brings out to him at this point. Epaphras, who's one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you. This is what he's known by right here. Always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. That you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked for you. And for those in Laodicea and Aeropolis. Now, according to Philemon, verse 23, he also is a fellow prisoner with Paul. He is in chains like Paul. But what is his work of ministry? Prayer. The church is to be the gathering of prayer warriors. Every church needs prayer warriors. People who say that the battle is in the prayer room. Do you understand that the battle is in the prayer room? It is the form of, it is the weapon that God has given us in Ephesians chapter 6, along with the word of God being the sword of the spirit. Prayer is the spiritual offensive weapon with the word of God. It is where the battle takes place, and it is a toil, it is a struggle, it is a battle, but it is one that there are some who say, I will engage right here. What does he pray for? He's praying that they be mature. And fully assured in all the will of God. Which is similar to what Paul prays in chapter 1 verse 9. He prays that the people would be filled with God's will. The knowledge of God's will. To be controlled by God's will. We, for our church to have that atmosphere of saying what matters most is what does God say. How many of you want that in your church? To say that the primary directive in our church is that there will be a people who care and will say what does God say. Is that what you want? That happens by people praying. That happens when we pray and battle in prayer. Why is that a battle? Because we've got all kinds of other opinions and thoughts and things of how church ought to run. But for God's will to prevail, for not only in our church collectively, but individually, it has to be a prayer. One of the things I remember my grandfather praying for me is that I would do and know God's will. And so that's been... A constant prayer for me now, for my family, is that our children would know God's will. That each day we would know God's will and do it. That our church would do this. This is what they're praying for, is the maturity of following God's will. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you. Did you know you can work hard and never get off your chair? One of the things I tell our saints that are in assisted living 
or maybe they're shut in. You know, one of the things they battle with is a sense of uselessness. Because they've defined their lives by what they could do. And now they can't do those things anymore. One of the things I tell them is that you can be a prayer warrior for our church. And I start telling them things to pray for. This is, this is how you can pray. You can struggle in prayer. And, and the thought is, if, if you believe the Bible, that a 85-year-old person who's not able to leave their house anymore can do more in prayer than a 25-year-old fully capable who doesn't pray. We struggle. We toil. And here Paul is saying he's in chains, but he's working hard. And let me tell you, Colossae Church, he's working hard on your behalf. We're going to have a group of ladies who will start in concentrated prayer beginning tomorrow. And they're forming groups of, of, of three. If you're not in a group of three, talk to Harriet. Raise your hand. There she is. She'll be right around here. And talk to her and say, I want to be in a group of three to pray. And they've gotten certain things they're praying for. But I'm going to tell you, not just the ladies, men, when we pray, God does things. Do you believe that? It's evidenced by what we do. Just, it doesn't take many. It just doesn't take many. Just some who will do it. Who will say, my ministry is prayer. And here's Epaphras who's doing that. But I'm going to tell you, when his chains were gone, he was an evangelist. He started churches. There'll be a season in your life. Listen, you have a brief season when you're active and you can do things. But for every single one of us, there very likely will be a season when we can't do anything. When we're stuck in a hospital room. And we're stuck in our house. And we'll say to ourselves, and oh, I wish I could go and do. But you never did when you had full health. Listen, when you have full health, that health is a gift of God. Let it be for God's work. There'll be a day and time when you will not have that health. And it'll be a new season where God will give you a new ministry. And that would be one of prayer. But all throughout, if we're not praying now, we're going to have an awful hard time when we can't do anything else but pray. Start now. Start now. And so, there's, we keep on reading, there's Luke, the beloved physician. He greets you. He was the, he was the only one to remain with Paul as he waited his trial in Rome. He was instrumental uh, in, in recording not only the gospel of Luke, but Acts for us. And so we see him as, as one who is faithful. And then we've got Demas. Luke greets you, as does Demas. And Demas, there's not too much said here. But things that are said are tragic. And this takes us to another group that will be involved in any church. When I say the church here, I'm referring not to God's record of a church, but a earthly record of the church. And that is the group of the betrayers. In any church, there will be a group of the betrayers. They're prayer warriors. The devoted will be a part of that. The redeemed. But in the group of, from human perspective, there will be those who are the betrayers. What do we know about Demas? 
Well, in 2 Timothy 4.10, Paul laments the fact that he's by himself, that all have left him, save Luke. He says this about Demas. Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present age, and has gone back to Thessalonica. Demas was hardcore. He was on the team, working to start churches around the world. He would be a missionary from our perspective. If we're going to use categories like that, Demas was right there working as a missionary, working with Paul on the team. But somewhere along the way, his heart affection no longer went to Christ, but went to things of this world. And that's why we have to battle what our heart seeks after. And he left. And it was undoubtedly a bitter thing for Paul. The closer you are to someone, and the betrayal is all the more keen and powerful. If it happened in Jesus' group of 12, if it happened in Paul's group of about that many, it's going to happen in any church that seeks Christ. It's going to happen. When that happens, we are to trust in Christ, not man. Do you understand that? There may be a someday in our time, in this room, someone who have hidden sins in their heart that they're nurturing and growing to the point where it becomes evident, to the point where they no longer can live in two worlds, what they're presenting in persona and what's in their own heart. And it will be a shock to us. It could be devastating. But we must seek in Christ, trust in Christ, not in the collection of saints. Do you understand that? It'll be painful if and when that happens. But it always happens. And part of it is for us to trust in Christ. You hear of pastors falling off the faith wagon. And you always ask, how does that happen? Same way it happens in any person's life. Hidden sins, stealing the affections of the heart, slowly but growing in intensity over time. So then there becomes a public scene, but has been grown, nurtured all along by something private. Is a battle of your heart. Set your mind. Set your affections on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That's why this is so important. To be, to understand that, that you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. And Christ who is your life when he appears, you will appear with him in glory. Why is that so important? Because it is critical to your persevering work. That God does in our life when we have Christ as center in our life. And it's so critical in a church that we call each other out, that we work together as a team toward a purpose of seeing churches and disciples being made in our lifetime. What bonds the Demases together at one point was that there was a vision of this. But somewhere along the way, there was a heart that turned away and enjoyed the things of this world more than others. The betrayers. 
And then he says, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. So this is a nearby city. Churches were in the house of Philemon and this lady and Mark's mother. Did you know that churches did not own property to somewhere after 250? So for about 250 years, the church didn't have a building such as this or any such property. And when do we think of the golden age, so to speak, of the Christian faith? Isn't it right here in Acts and the early church? It's just something to think about. This is a luxury, this building. But if we're not careful, it can be a detriment. Do you understand that? Programs are blessings, but if we're not careful, they can be detriments. There's relationship. There's discipleship. There's the Word of God. There's singing. There's the Lord's Supper. There's baptism. There's discipline. And there's elders. And that's pretty much the critical part of it all. Everything else is extra. But if it gets in the way of the critical parts, we've lost it. And so he writes this to this church. He says, see, see that you read the letter from Laodicea. I'm going to send one to them. We've, we've lost that letter. We don't know what that is. And say to Archippus, remember this is the guy in Philemon that is there with Philemon and his wife. Could very well be his son. We're not sure. But he says to him, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Sounds kind of pastoral. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. 2,000 years ago, he wrote that letter. He says, remember my chains. He wrote it to people that have long gone. But it seems like that still has a very poignant point, doesn't it? Remember my chains. Paul himself has been glorious all this time. It is well for us to remember his chains. Think of the one who was hounded, who was persecuted, who was oppressed everywhere he went. He was resisted and thrown into jail many times. He was shipwrecked, stoned, spent a night and day in the deep. And he writes these letters, and even as he writes it, it's not easy to do. He doesn't sit down with his laptop or his iPad in a comfortable chair with coffee in hand. He writes this in prison, dictates it evidently to an educated slave, and then painfully, because he's suffering from eyesight problems, writes in large letters as he writes at the, at the end of this in his own hand in verse 18. And down through the centuries, this letter has come, transforming the history of the world. And now you receive it. How is it that it would not transform you after all these years? Remember the cost of having these scriptures in your hands. Remember the chains. Remember the church that God's put you in. Remember Christ, who's the center of it all. Let's pray.